The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. If you have to ask Uncle Lewis what swing is, you'll never know. And if you have to ask a bluebird, what spring is, you'll never know. And if- well, the celebration of life for former Senator and legendary Edmonton jazz pianist Tommy Banks takes place tonight at the Windspear. Banks passed away on January 25th at the age of 81. He leaves behind an incredible legacy. To talk more about that, we're joined by one of our favorite guests, military historian and author Ted Barris, who flew in from Ontario to be at tonight's uh, event for his his close friend. Hi, Ted. Ah, you're going to get me over Clint before I even get started <laughs> here, you guys. Well, you know, thanks for joining us. And Pleasure. I know when we, we were talking through email this morning, and I didn't realize that you uh, and your family had such a connection with, uh, with Mr. Banks. Tell us about that. Where did it start? Well, my dad and my sister and I have all been, my dad Alex Barris, my sister Kate Barris, and I have all had exposure and the, the joy and the privilege, the honor of writing what's called called what used to be called variety television. That's when you had a host, (laughs) and the host brought in singers, dancers, comedians. Andrew, you missed all this. I did. Um, (laughs) You know, sketch artists, uh, you know, uh, guests who talked. Um, And I used to write shows like that. My dad did, my sister did. And and at various times in our lives, my my sister is very much alive. My dad passed a number of years ago. We all had the joy of working with the best TV variety host on the planet, Tommy Banks. So uh, those relationships began back in the 1970s. When I moved here to Edmonton in 79, I worked with my partner, Colin, Colin McLean, yeah. on Tommy Banks Live. We did that show for four years. <laughs> wow. And as I pointed out in my blog on the Barris Beat, uh, uh, Colin and I would have to pinch each other to realize how much fun live variety television was and say, they actually pay us for this. <laughs> and Tommy was just the joy because he was so easygoing. He knew everybody and he would do anything we asked him to. And we did, I'll get yeah. Later on, we'll talk about some of the weird things we did on the show. <laughs> but he was so accommodating, so talented, fast, mm-hmm. like Steve Allen fast. Remember Steve Allen on, of course, on yeah. live television? And he just had, and then, of course, like Steve, could play the piano. Yeah, you know? amazing. You know, I don't know if uh, Renaissance uh, Man is the right way to describe uh, Tommy Banks, but I thought for the that longest time, honestly, I thought there was three of them. <laughs> because if you Google Tommy Banks, and or you hear about Tommy Banks, you hear about... Your him. computer crashes. It does. I mean, in, in so many different ways. And I, I do recall at one point um, having a conversation a couple of years ago on this show, and we were going to talk about Tommy Banks, and I said, the senator? And no, the jazz musician. Well, both, right? He did a lot in his lifetime. Yeah. Well, he, he started off as a very young musician um, in all the bands that, that Albertans remember. Uh, I think he started as a teenager mm-hmm. professionally um, and and then moved into... I mean, I enjoyed Tommy most when he was sort of like the, you know, sort of the middle 
the, the middle of all the spokes of a wheel. <laughs> yeah. You know, kind of working as a pianist, but being an arranger, being mm-hmm. a conductor, being a, um, a copyist. I mean, I remember, and I point this out in my story, we were doing a show down at, may I say ITV? Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. Uh, down the road, and, um, and it was called Rocket. <laughs> and I was brought in to write the show. I was pfft, totally green in that. This is way back in the 70s. And they asked me to write the show. And I, we were juggling four, five, six hour-long shows a week. And wow. Tommy was producing the music for all that. We had a 16-piece band. And this is in the days before computers when when somebody brought in a chart and it had to be transposed for all 16 instruments. There were <laughs> copyists working literally all night long to get the material ready the next day. Okay, so we hear that Long John Baldry is coming oh gosh, into town on the nice. show, right? You know, don't lay no boogie-woogie yeah. on the king of rock and roll. And this guy brings in a saxophone chart. And that's it. <laughs> now, Tommy could have said... Are you out of your mind? Mm-hmm. I can't do this. He got the copyists and himself, and the next day, before a one note was played in the studio in rehearsal, every musician had his charts or her charts, and so Long John went away with a full score on Don't Lay No Boogie Woogie on the King of Rock and Roll, which is probably the key to the song's success. Yeah. See, I'm not surprised to hear that, honestly, because that sort of goes to what I was going to ask you about as well, but his success in uh, Tommy Banks Live, I would have suggested, would be that he actually took an interest in his guests. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, that story actually sounds totally accurate to me that he would take an interest in having whatever person was going to appear on a show appear to be at their best. And you know that personally because in radio you've got to try harder to make the pictures come to the mm-hmm. brain for your right. listeners. So you've got to work harder to make the audience and your interviewees recognize that you care. And you do it genuinely, but it's harder in radio. Television, you could just sort of let it happen. But Tommy was like a radio guy on TV. Because mm-hmm. he way would to push it. hard yep. and make sure that the... Per- I mean, he had Wayne Gretzky. We had Wayne Gretzky on every year. You, I, was, you I was going to ask you about that because I'll be honest with you, I was, I was finding some audio, some, some music of, of Tommy today, and I came across the interview with Wayne Gretzky and I'll be honest with you I had no idea what a great television host he was you got a clip I I I do have a clip of that and actually oh jeepers we can play it a little later I'll find it for you here in a second but he just excelled at it teasing Wayne about you know when is he going to learn how to score because he only got a bunch of assists that night (laughs) but then it went on and you had him playing table hockey hockey with Wayne and oh that's brilliant one year Tommy had played uh, hockey as a kid and we knew this not great hockey I mean I played not great hockey and I'm still at it um, it, because I never would stop recreational anyway Tommy we decided to put Tommy in the net (laughs) (laughs) against the great one well you know Gretzky as as big as he was Mm -hmm. as you know gargantuan a name and a a class act too still is um, uh, as a hockey player got it and he really had fun with Tommy and, and watching two consummate professionals in the middle of a funny situation was like watching mime. Mm-hmm. It, you just couldn't turn your eyes away. It was just captivating. Well, the Wayne Gretzky giggle came out. You know when Wayne's <laughs> yep, he's yep. Eight, all through the entire thing and all you can hear is the Wayne Gretzky giggle through it all. I was like, oh, and that's brilliant. We learned that Wayne looked at, uh, looked forward to um, those once a year gigs. And, and we, had, we were on every Wednesday night. And of course, there were always Wednesday mm-hmm. night games at Northlands Coliseum in those years. So we never had Wayne except maybe one night a year 
He w- and, and Wayne said he looked forward to it because he knew we were going to hit him with something he didn't expect. <laughs> and so he would come on and he would bounce with the punches. I think we probably made him a consummate professional on the air because of those moments, <laughs> thanks to Tommy. Oh, and you know what? And you look, I, again, I didn't realize that he had such an involvement with setting up the ESO. I mean, he was the guy behind um, the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra. I'm not as versed on, on that, that story. One, but yeah, I'm aware of it. Yeah, because and, and it, well, just his commitment to musicians. Yeah. Well, in exactly this because you know uh, you can't reach up without reaching back, and that's one thing. If you are a musician in Edmonton, particularly, but Alberta in general, you've met probably Tommy Mm -hmm. Banks at some point. His commitment to helping individuals who are starting off in the music industry is quite well known, but it's also more diverse than that. He was constantly interested. I'm sorry, this should be you saying this and not me. No, no, it's great. He was constantly interested in the entertainment field in general. He he always wanted to know who was out there, what they were up to, and, and where they were trying to get to, and he was constantly offering encouragement for that. You mentioned the ESO. I I think I had a quote in my online story. He was doing um, a fundraiser, and uh, I think they raised about (laughs) $80,000. 1,050 of it was because he offered to shave his beard. There you go. (laughs) Now, if that's not one for the team, what else is? You know, we talk about as a television host, we talk about him as a a pianist, but also as a senator. And you were able, Ted, to witness that firsthand. You spent time with him in the Senate. Uh, well, in Senate committee. That's right. Um, everyone has a bad sense of the Senate, that these is a lot, bunch of old folks and they don't do anything but, you know, rubber stamp everything and they don't really care and they, and they squander our money. Not Tommy Banks. Uh, Tommy invited me to go to committee and it was a committee day when I was in it. I went through seven stages of security to mm-hmm. get into the place. It wasn't, wasn't that you weren't, the public wasn't welcome. I was a journalist, so they sort of recognized that I had a reason to be there, sort of. And it was a subcommittee meeting on Veterans Affairs. Mm-hmm. And all of the other senators, mostly conservatives at that time, I'm afraid to say, were all making political points in the meeting. It was all being recorded, it was all being set out, and it was the, I think they were interviewing the ambassador from Afghanistan, or the Canadian ambassador in Afghanistan on the hot seat, about the way Canadian dollars were being spent. Okay? Well, the Conservative senators wanted to make sure that the, the government looked good. And so the questions were softball lobs, right? You mm-hmm. know, and so tell us about the way the policies are working. And, but Tommy wanted to make sure that veterans were being taken care of and that monies that were being essentially put aside for the men and women coming back from having made Afghanistan a better place were recognized. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't partisan, it wasn't self-interest, it was veterans' interest. And I almost stood up and applauded. <laughs> in the, there were like five of us yeah. in, the, in the, the peanut gallery there. You'd have woken up several senators had you done <laughs> that. You might have scared them. <laughs> yeah. you know, but it, but it, it, it made me realize how... You know, there's that expression, you're really somebody who cares when nobody sees you doing the good you Uh do, you know? Uh Tommy was like that. It wasn't because the cameras were on. It wasn't because somebody was watching. It wasn't because it was the business of the people in front of the people across the country. Nobody cared what was going on in the Senate committee, really. But he cared because, he shone because it was his duty, it was his desire, Uh it was his passion, being Uh a Canadian and, and serving the people in his constituency, and at that moment, it was veterans. So, as a friend and as someone who worked with Tommy Banks, 
What's the one thing you'll remember about Tommy Banks? <laughs> You're not going to believe this. Remember I told you that Tommy would do anything? I mean, we had him. I like this story already. I mean, you know, when you're when you're a, when you're a host, mm-hmm. you get into some pretty strange situations. Well, Colin and I were not only the writers on the shows. Am I going too long here? No, okay? no, no, that's you're fine. fine. Good. Um, Colin and I were not only the writers on the shows. We'd have to go out and find things. Well, Colin's beat was the arts, and so he would bring back dancers and mm-hmm. singers, great sort of cultural stories. I would go looking for oddball stuff, right? You know, like the weirdo things that you could find, which would make people watch the show because they, they sensed if they didn't watch that they missed something. I found a couple in Edmonton back then, this would be back about 1982 or 83, who had a rather interesting contraption which would swing your body upside down and you would hang from these boots to stretch your spine. Yeah. Can you mm-hmm. picture this? Those, okay. yeah. Yeah. It was like sort they of still like sell those. it was like a death rack. Yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. It was legitimate. Anyway, so I thought, hey, and there's room for two on the rack, right? So I thought, well, let's get these guys in the studio, and I'll get in one rack, and Tommy'll get in the other rack, and we'll sort of see what it feels like. Seems like a good idea. Well, it was a, it was great television, <laughs> but you know, like Tommy was having fun kibitzing with the people as we got strapped in, and they, I think we went to commercial and we came back. Okay, now the big moment and we get flipped upside down and I suddenly remembered a moment from the Johnny Carson show and a line came to me and I and I boldface stole it so that I could use it at that moment. <laughs> We're now hanging upside down and sort of chuckling and recognizing the physicalness of this moment and I turned to Tommy and I said any word from the governor yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, that was the that was the yeah. what was his sidekick's name? Uh, Johnny Carson's oh, sidekick, uh, um, Ed McMahon. Ed McMahon, Ed McMahon yeah. yeah, McMahon had done it with Carson, and and I couldn't, and he, and Tommy fell apart, and it was so much fun just to to realize that he got it, that he didn't mind looking like a fool. Neither of us mm-hmm. did, but here was a, a genuine star, an icon yeah. of Canada, and he's upside down in his stupid hanging boots <laughs> oh, and laughing and having a wonderful time and making the people who were there not be laughed at but engaged exactly in other words he was an entertainer yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. all the way around yeah. ted barris joining us in studio this afternoon uh in edmonton to attend uh, the service tonight uh for tommy banks it gets underway at the wind spirit seven o'clock the doors open at 5 30 uh we're going to take a break here when we come back ted i do want to catch up with you on what you've been doing lots of time on uh on your side of things as well as we go to break though i found this um tommy banks was was inducted into the Alberta Order of Excellence in 1993. And uh, during the video that was made about that, he talked about the Tommy Banks show and saying no to going to Toronto. Every television station in those days had a program that introduced and tried to promote local talent. From the Edmonton studios of XP5, it's Tommy Banks Live! 1967 or 68, the CBC had been looking for some team, including a host, to do a national talk show. When Don McRae, the producer, and Colin McLean, the writer, and I went to Toronto to meet with the head of CBC Variety, they congratulated us on how good the program was, and then they said, now, when can you move? And uh, Don McRae said, move what? And they said, well, you, you, you'll move to Toronto to produce this program. And McRae said, no, no, we'll produce the program in Edmonton. Well, I, the, the CBC execs practically fell over in their chairs. It had never occurred to them that, that such a thing could happen. People 
used to say and still sometimes do. You mean you did that in Edmonton? Yeah, we did. We'll be back right after this message. Don't go away. afternoon his memorial service tonight at the Windspear Center the doors open at 5:30 Ted Barris the military historian and author in town to attend that tonight and uh, we just spent the last little while talking about uh, Tommy Banks did want to ask you what you've been up to lately I think are you on number 19 number 20 Both. of your books yeah that's yeah. ridiculous <laughs> I should have read at least as many books as you've written I mean, not necessarily yours, but honestly, God. What, with, with I've been hearing about your furnace. I don't know. You might want to be, use some of them to burn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's going on? The The Dam Busters was one of them. Right. Well, actually, the, I was working on a medic book because my dad was That's a medic right. in the Second War, and that was that book was uh, eight-tenths done okay. the summer before last. And I had this crazy idea. The anniversary of the Dam Busters is coming up in 2018, the 75th. And most people don't realize that more than a quarter of the crews on a, of 133 crewmen on the raid, 19 Lancasters, went in and bombed the Ruhr River Valley dams lower than 100 feet mm-hmm. all the way from England to Germany and bat four-engine Lancasters. You can appreciate that. Lower than a, 100 feet. They dropped the Massive bombs planes. at 60 feet off the reservoir surface, all of which comes out in the book. But what's most important for me, and their images are on the front cover of the book, there were 29 Canadians in those 133 crewmen, half of whom didn't come back. Yeah. Mm. But their stories are so compelling, so rich. And do you know that not two hours from this very location is one of the three remaining living dam busters. Fred Sutherland lives in Rocky Mountain House. <laughs> and when I come back in November to talk at Festival Place on November 7th and 8th, we're going to screen the movie one of the nights, and then I'm going to do a presentation, much like I've done three or four yep. times before. We're hoping maybe we can get him to come. Oh, that would be wonderful. Wow. Yeah. Might have to send a car. Uh, <laughs> do you think you'll ever run out of stories? Uh, I, yeah, if I, I'll get around to yours. No, no, no. And then I'll have a whole ten years more. No one, no one's buying that book. <laughs> you never know. Um, There's so many great ones, though, out of, um, particularly with regard to military. And, and and you know, Andrew, the thing that's that's kind of two things rewarding about what I do. One, um, people often call me a military historian, as you just <laughs> did. I do all the time. But I'm really a people historian. I mean, yeah. people. That, that's why on the cover of The Great Escape. That's why on the cover of so many of my books. It's not the technology, it's not the grandeur, it's not the energy of, of the moment that's technological or physical. It's people's faces. The 16 guys who survived the dam's raid are on the front cover, and I've tracked down all their stories, as well as the 14 who didn't come back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's the essence of telling any history, military or otherwise. The other thing is that I'll run into people across the country, and they give me the greatest compliment of all when they say to me, Ted, my name isn't in your book, but my story is. Mm-hmm. 
And if I've and I've done that, then I've I've hit the mark. And you as bet. long as I can keep doing that, maybe even with your career, Andrew, I don't know why you keep uh, coming yeah, back. No, that. I'm not asking for that. I, but I just sense that there's a bit of an sort of an onion there. We peel away a few <laughs> oh, layers. Uh, we'll get a good you story. You're gonna make no me cry. Idea. Is what you're gonna do. Uh, the Dam Busters, Canadian Airmen, and the Secret Raid Against Nazi Germany. When can we expect it out? Uh, it's going to be out. I'm actually going to do an appearance in Nanton, mm-hmm. the Great Bomber mm-hmm. Command Museum, south of Calgary, in August. In August. We're actually going to have, that's going to be the launch of the whole damn th- oh, darn thing. <laughs> and, that's um, it. And that's yeah. pfft, You'll never be on this show again, yeah. sir. And uh, at Nanton, and uh, in, I think it's August the 26th or 7th, I think it's a, it's a weekend. Okay. And then we're going to do a big bang em up uh, launch here on November 7th, 8th. And we hope that you will join us November and 7th or 8th, So please. thanks so much. Thanks to you. You helped me interview some of the Dambuster folks. It was amazing. Thank you for uh, allowing me to be a part of oh, it. Ted, enjoy. always great to talk to you. We look forward to seeing you in a few months from now. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Pleasure. I love the 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.